The author says the following May Allah give him and us benefit from his knowledge in this life and the next. Amen. So he says, He expanded you. I'll explain the wording. He expanded you so as not to keep you in contraction. He contracted you so as not to keep you in expansion. And he took you out of both so that you not belong to anything apart from him. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is, uh, I think before we've talked about this idea of qabd and bust, but just for the sake of um, review, you know, we can, we can just uh, make sure everyone's on the same page. But this, these, this terminology of qabd and bust is a very common terminology in the world of Islamic spirituality. And it is also a sunnah, it is also a pattern of God in creation as a whole. So bust is, con, uh, is expansion, bust is expansion, and qabd is constriction. People might have similar words in their languages. Qabz. Um, Qabz is constriction. And bust is expansion. So when we look at the creation of God, we see that this theme plays itself out over and over and over again. This theme of expansion and contraction. So in some ways one can say that the fall and moving into the winter is a time of con- contraction or constriction and the spring and moving into the summer is a time of expansion one could say that the night is a time of constriction or contraction um, I'll just use contraction because that's what they use and uh, the daytime is a time of expansion one could say that the beating of the heart is a process of expansion and contraction. The usage of our muscles is a process of expansion and contraction. The flying of a bird, the flight of a bird, is a process of expansion and contraction, and so on. You can probably think of many, many examples. (coughs) And they use this then to, oftentimes, the um, the, the, the standard realities of the external world often mirror themselves in the internal world. So this expansion and contraction that is a um, practice of the external world, the physical world, it is also a reality of the inner world. That the inner world has times of immense 
<coughs> contraction and it also has times of immense expansion and um, but these are not necessarily uh, psychological states there's some overlap at times between psychological states and spiritual states but this is in the language of spirituality so this is like the spiritual heart sometimes it just feels overjoyed and there's there's an expanse to it and sometimes it feels very contracted so what what he's saying here is that he expanded he gave you this expansion so that he would not keep you in the contraction and he gave you an experience of contraction so, so that he would not leave you in the expansion so it's, it's, it's acknowledging that our spiritual life has these ups and downs in a sense and those ups and downs are part of the experience and those ups and downs are part of our growth part of our learning to maintain some level of consistency regardless of those feelings and um, um, that's why for example like some of the spiritual teachers they'll say that you can't judge your own iman because you might have an experience of contraction and then you judge your iman and you think oh I don't have any man I don't feel good and this and that and start being all negative about your iman but in reality it's not actually a reflection of your iman it's just that Allah puts you through times of expansion and he puts you through times of contraction and once you get out of the contraction you probably are going to drift into some sort of expansion and then after that you might drift in some and this is a back and forth that the person goes through until they learn how to um, manage themselves in the light of these contractions and uh, expansions so he doesn't leave you in one or the other is the point here he doesn't leave you in one or the other you're not just going to be like in one way forever um, it, unless you get to this latter point which is that and he took you out of both of those so that you don't belong to anything apart from him subhanahu wa ta'ala okay so that you don't belong to anything other than him that that's your only focus is him so now you're you have these ups and uh, ups and downs and your focus is so intently on Allah that you actually are taken out of that cycle uh, another manifestation, an important one of this, is in the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala themselves. Of uh, Some of them are names of majesty, and some of them are names of beauty. And the names of beauty are generally considered to be names of expansion. And the names of majesty are names of contraction, because they, they overwhelm. Whereas the names of beauty inspire and and uh, expand in such a way so he's so this is what he's saying here then he continues on this theme um, and says al-arifun idha busitu akhwafu minhum idha qubidu wala yaqifu ala hudud al-adibi fil-basti illa qalil al-arifun idha busitu akhwafu minhum idha qubidu وَلَا يَقِفُ عَلَى حُدُودِ الْأَدِبِ فِي الْبَسْطِ إِلَّا قَلِيلٌ For the Gnostics, for the knowers of God, it is more dreadful for Gnostics to be expanded than to be contracted. 
for only a few can stay within the limits of proper conduct and expansion. Okay, so what is this? What is this getting at? What this is getting at is that the goal in either of these cases is to maintain a proper adab with Allah, proper etiquette with Allah, and the way that we think about Him, the way that we think about existence the way that we interact with these states that we're going through. Um, and and that's actually easier in one of them than the other one. Um, so it says that those who are the knowers of God, it's they're more fearful about the states of expansion than they are the states of contraction. Why? Because let's be real. When you're in a contracted state, you don't feel so good, right? And... You don't really make any claims about yourself, even whether or not you put words to them, right? So you're not going to be like, oh, you know, look at me, I'm so pious and and uh, I'm praying so much and look, at, I'm doing these extra fasts and the Quran is coming so easy to me and stuff like that. That's not going to happen in a state of contraction. In a state of contraction, you're going to be like, man, I don't feel like praying right now, but I need to get this prayer in because this prayer is obligatory and I'm going to do this obligatory prayer. And you're like dragging yourself to do the things that you need to do because you're in that state of contraction, right? Uh, what he's saying is the people of God, they actually prefer that state over the expansion. Because what happens in the expansion is you start to think you're really special. You start to think like, you know, look at me. Again, what I was just saying, look at me, look at these things that I can do, so on and so forth. And then it starts to get to your head. And then everything is lost, right? Once it, once it goes to your head and you start to think and you forget that whatever you're able to do is a gift from God. And you start to think that it's from your own devices and it's your own strength and your own might and your own ability and your own planning and your own hard work and determination and all of these kind of things that's making it possible for you to now earn your relationship with God, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, it's about your nefs now. It's not about God anymore. It's about your base self and it's not about God. And so that's a lot bigger of a situation than to be humble with God. Like if you're in a state of contraction, there's a level of humility that comes with that. And there's a state of expansion can be a means by which some level of arrogance begins to creep in. So he says the people that know God, they prefer the contraction over the expansion. And then it concludes by saying that because few can stay within the limits of proper conduct in expansion. Few can stay within the limits of proper conduct in expansion. The continuation on that is Al-Bastu ta'akhudu nafsu minhu hadhaha bi wujud al-farah wal-qabdu la hadha lil-nafsi fi And this is why. So this is, what is the reasoning behind all of that? Is because through the existence of joy, um, through the existence of joy, the soul gets its share in expansion. But there is no share for the soul in contraction. Um, this this term is really really important in in, in spirituality is the idea of hadh nafs hadh nafs hadh nafs is like the share of the nafs the share of the base self um, and the goal is to overcome that thing and they you know they recognize that for example like 
there's certain things that the, the nefs enjoys then, right? When people praise you, when people say that you're so amazing, when when you do these acts of worship and there's joy that comes along with it, then the nefs really, you know, there's something for the nefs there. So it can start to take a little bit of its own share. Um, whereas in the state of contraction, then there's nothing for the nefs there because it's all miserable for the nefs anyways. It's all, it's all... Uh, it's, it's just struggle and jihad and hard work and everything else. So there's no health for the nefs there. So then he, one manages to um, um, keep it away and stave it off uh, in a way that is harder to do uh, when there is that joy, when there is that expansion and so on and so forth. So that one's really comments on the ones before it. Then he says this is one of the most famous uh, hikam. It's very, very commonly quoted, especially in Arabic. I don't know if people really quote it so much in English, but in Arabic, it's it's very commonly quoted. And this is uh, it's there's a reason why it's quoted so much. <coughs> And the reason is because it's a, it's a very profound truth. Sometimes it's hard to swallow, but it's very profound nonetheless. So it says that maybe sometimes he gives while depriving you, and sometimes he deprives you in giving. And I think we kind of it um, um it, I think it came up before, but uh, nonetheless, it's here. So it says, maybe he gives, sometimes he gives you, and that is a deprivation. And sometimes he deprives you, and that is a giving. So what this is getting at is that sometimes we get what we want, and that ends up actually being bad for us. Right. So in that case, he's given us, but in giving us, he has actually prevented us and deprived us. Um, <coughs> it's not actually a good thing, right? And in other cases, he deprives us, and in doing so, gives us a gift. And uh, so that that then, of course, is um, a different scenario, but a very, very real one too. And uh, I like I, I think I've said before on this one of one of the challenges with this kind of stuff. Is that, and this is part of why we we generally look up to elders, like people who are older, who are, especially people who are older, they're people of taqwa, they're reflective, so on and so forth. We really look up to those kind of people because they can come to understandings and realizations that younger people are not going to be able to come up to come up with. Um, one of the challenges of this is that as you live longer, you can see and understand it more and more. But when a person is really young. It's, it's a hard pill to swallow. It's like one of those things you have to kind of learn with time that, um, that there's a difference between what I want and what Allah wants. And sometimes, you know, not sometimes, but sometimes He, he gives us and that's, that's not actually, it stops us from doing other things. Um, and that's why a lot of the dua of the Prophet is extremely general. You know, a lot of the du'a of the Prophet ﷺ is extremely general. Like his favorite du'as were, "Allahumma atina fi dunya hasana wa fi akhirati hasana wa qina adab al-nar." 
O Allah, give us good in this life, give us good in the next life, and protect us from the punishment of the fire. It's one of the famous favorite du'as of the Prophet Another favorite du'a of the Prophet was Allahumma inna nas'aluka tuqa wal-afafa wal-ghina I'm missing one. Tuqa wal-huda wal-afafa wal-ghina I think it is. That we ask you for taqwa and we ask you for guidance and we ask you for sustenance and um, and uh, chastity and piety and uh, you know like a humility, temperance. Uh, so he's saying these are very general things, right? Um, they're very important things, obviously. They're very, very important things, but they're very general things. Because I don't want to like... Maybe what I'm asking for is not really good for me. You know, so I'd rather just ask for the things that I know for sure are good for me and put my trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that what He has in store for me is better than what I could ask Him. And that again is related to one of the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam where he relates from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he said, مَنْ شَغْلَهُ ذِكْرِ عَنْ مَسْأَلَتِي The one who remembers me is busy remembering me so they don't ask me. I give them the best of anything that anyone asks for. Right? So they're busy remembering Allah. Not necessarily asking Him, just remembering Him. La ilaha illallah, subhanAllah, alhamdulillah, and so on and so forth. And then all of those things become a means by which, and he doesn't ask. So Allah gives him better than what he would have asked for, or she would have asked for, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So maybe he gives you, but he deprives you. Maybe he deprives you, but he gives you. So then, this is sad. <laughs> this is a good idea. So there's an advertisement in the middle. <laughs> uh, new class times for regular weekly classes. Um, starting in Ramadan So Monday, Tuesday uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday All move to 5 to 6.30 And Believing Together moves To 5 to 6.30 on Friday Good Good concept There you go Whoops, that's way too small Good move guys um, Alright, so 84 84 then tells you So an, a natural question would be A natural question would be If sometimes he gives me And that's not good for me And sometimes He doesn't give me And that's good for me How do I, how do I engage with this? Um and that's kind of similar to the issue of like sometimes people ask how do you know if something that befalls you is a trial or a test or is it a punishment? And so one of the answers to that oftentimes is it is basically whatever you respond to it as. If you respond to it and you consider things and you pay attention and so on and so forth, then it's a blessing. It's a trial. And if you don't, then it's a punishment. So... The question here about giving and depriving would be okay. So how do I know which one's which? So in the next hikmah he says, So he says when he opens up your understanding of deprivation, deprivation becomes the same as giving. So. 
So if something doesn't go the way you want it to go, but you derive some sort of lessons, some sort of wisdom from that, then that became a gift. That became a gift. So then obviously that's an issue of like how do I how do I engage with it, you know? How do I engage with it? And how I engage with it is going to be the determining factor for what it is. If I engage with it in a way that is reflective, is considering, so on and so forth, then it becomes a gift. Even if it, even if it wasn't what I wanted it to be. And I think this is, um, you know, uh, especially like right now with what we're going through. Shelter in place is, it's it's definitely a form of men. It's definitely a form of uh, deprivation. Maybe is not the best translation there, but it's it's a preventing, right? If you are in a state of not being able to go out and not engage with the world in the way that you may have engaged with it before, there is a withdrawal in that. So when does that deprivation become? A source of good is when When he opens up the door of understanding for you in that state of deprivation. So part of like what the believer should be doing in times like these is really giving thought to the world, to the way that it is, to the challenges that we face as human beings, to the destruction that we've wreaked upon the world upon the physical world, upon the human world, upon the world of the animals, upon the world of the um, the natural world. All of these things we should be reflecting upon. And and reflecting upon like, you know, the ways of living and their consequences. And 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 that can be one side of that can be, you know, critical of of certain elements of the general world order at the time being. And another element of that can be uh, reflective on, for example, like I'm engaging with the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and I'm realizing that there is tremendous wisdom in these teachings. Now, these are not just haphazard teachings, but these are good teachings. Um, and I think I've told this story before, but subhanAllah, one time we were at the um, Mass Greater LA Convention, that they hold in Thanksgiving. I think this was like two years ago. And um, we're in the hotel. There's the hotel right next to the convention center. So a lot of people are going to the convention. They stay at the hotel, right? And um, I I was returning to the hotel. And there was a worker from the hotel that was, um, you know, we like passed by him in the hallway or something. I asked him, how's he doing? And we started to have a little bit of a conversation. And one of the things that he said was um, basically, and I was amazed because usually I'm kind of critical of the way that the Muslims behave in public and stuff like that. But I was amazed because he was like, you know, we get a lot of people that stay here because of the convention center. Um, All kinds of things happen over there and we get different types of guests. And the way that your people are behaving is amazing. And he said, and especially the young people. 
and the way that they, the manners that they have, and the way that they deal with older people, and so on and so forth, it's really amazing and really beautiful. And I was like, whoa, this is happy surprise, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, and then he said, he said, you know, he started to basically explain that he's a Christian, but he's not really into Christianity, you know, because. He believes that the teachings are good, but he doesn't really like some of the things that the church does. And so I'm like, okay, you know, it's cool. And and he's like, and, and whatever, you know, what you guys have, he's like, I might not know a lot. You know, I'm just like working here in the hotel and stuff. He's like, but I can recognize good teachings when I see them. And what you guys have are, are, are good teachings. And I was like, subhanAllah, that's, a, that's, that's quite, a, um, quite a reflection, right? So that's um, like these one can look at now, like take this time to look at, okay, so what are these things that we're taught? What are these things that we're, what is this, what is this religion really? Like what is this, what does it mean to follow a message of the messengers? To follow the way of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And um, can I engage with the way of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in a way that enables me to be able to understand, recognize, and appreciate the wisdom that's there, right? That there's, that this is a, these are wise teachings. These are teachings that are good, they're true, they're noble, they're honorable, and I'm going to try to follow them, right? So if I'm able to take this time of deprivation and turn it into a time of reflection, then that time of deprivation actually became a tremendous gift. It became a tremendous gift. Uh, if 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 it's an opportunity, if it becomes an opportunity wherein the believers can reorient themselves in their religion and really see uh, the truth and the power and the greatness and the beauty and the wonder of what of what it is that we have, then that is a tremendous gift. You know, that is a tremendous gift. So if he opens up that door of insight, one of the things to recognize in that is that it's meta huwa, not you. It doesn't say It doesn't say like when you open for yourself The door of understanding In a time of deprivation It says when he opens for you When Allah opens for you The door of understanding in a time of deprivation So uh, we must always remind ourselves That to be able to have insights To be able to have reflection To be able to have meaningful contemplation all of those things are gifts from Allah And so we ask Allah to give us that you know, We ask Allah to give us deep understanding We ask Allah to make us people of sincere reflection And contemplation We ask Allah to make us people Who are um, deeply and, and thoughtfully engaging With what it means to believe In the world that we live in Allahumma amin. 85 he says um, Sorry Sorry, I didn't see the questions that were here until uh, right now. So it's now we ask this question from the beginning about the hikmah mentions being taken out of both. Is that permanent or temporary? Um, I don't really know for sure. Um, my impression is that, I mean, nothing can be guaranteed to be permanent either way. For, um, like... Uh, even people who gain 
tremendous stations with God, nothing is guaranteed for them. So it's not guaranteed that anything that they're experiencing will be permanent. They, they could slip and fall, uh, at which point it, it won't be that way anymore. Um, but certainly like one's ability to experience these things but not be a, to be removed from them at some level is um, is something that can be attained. Uh, SubhanAllah, one time I was talking to a teacher of mine <laughs> and it so happens that um, uh, you know, subhanAllah, some of these people I was going through a period of like it was probably about a week leading up to when I saw him where I was having tremendous ups and downs like tremendous ups and downs and I wasn't really doing a very good job of controlling my responses to them <laughs> and uh, and uh, we happened to come together for I think it was a breakfast we happened to come together for a breakfast and um, and we're sitting there and he says in the course of the conversation he says and you know and he's speaking about one of his teachers and he says you know these people they're so amazing um, they go through the most tremendous ups and downs I'm paraphrasing they go through the most tremendous ups and downs internally and it will never show up in the, on their face it will never show up in the way that they externally um, engage with the world <laughs> and I hadn't said anything to him at that point <laughs> so I was like okay <laughs> got it alright I need to work on this I, I, I understand um, so Allahu Alam on the permanent and temporary how about reading surahs dua before going to sleep should one sit on the bed then lay down to sleep um, did I mention something about that uh You can you can say them sitting down. You can say them laying down. It's not either either way is fine. Um, just to answer the question, and then there's a poem there. Mashallah, Uncle Charlie always hits us with hits us with these good poems. I need to open it now before the uh, uh, the thing ends, and then I don't have it. Save that one for later, inshallah. I think you said something about arrogance if you lay down while making dua or something like that. Um, I hope I didn't say that. It's not necessarily arrogant to make dua when you're laying down. The Prophet ﷺ used to make dua sometimes when he's laying down. Um, that's That's okay to do. Um, I'm not sure exactly what I had said, so um, so just to answer the question, it's okay to do that. Eighty-five. Outwardly. Creatures are an illusion But inwardly they are an admonition 
Thus the soul looks at the illusory exterior, while the heart looks at the admonitory interior. So, a couple of issues I have with this translation in this case. Um, okay. So the first is that al um, aqwan is not really creatures. I mean, I guess you could say creatures, but that's not usually the way we understand. Al aqwan is created things. So it doesn't usually when we think of creatures, we think of like animate beings, but al aqwan is anything that's created so you know, it could it's relates to any it's more general than that the other thing is that it seems to be the case that they're kind of standardizing their translation of nefs here as soul and uh, I'm not sure how I feel about that I think it, I think nefs is probably especially in the context of these kind of topics, I think that it's probably better translated as base self or lower self. Uh, because the soul is good and pure. Now the nefs can, if it's if it's purified and it's rectified and so on and so forth, it can uh, it it can be closer to that side, like like soul, so to speak. Um, or if it's not, it can be like unrefined and then it's more like the self or the base self or the ego um, so I could see how you could use that that translation but usually like especially in, in crit criticizing the nefs type things um, that's not being used in like a positive sense so this isn't and a soul is usually positive that's what I'm trying to get at is that so I don't think that I would say that this is this isn't I wouldn't translate that as soul I think it, it doesn't give the right it doesn't give the right impression Nonetheless, the point here is that the created things, in their outward form, they are in illusion. They translate it here, ghirra. Um, the ghirra is is the the means by which a person has ightirar, and ightirar is to be deluded. So the outward forms of these created things they are an illusion in the sense that they're illusory they they delude the person they distract them from the ultimate reality of things perhaps because of their beauty um or whatever it might be like uh someone was uh, heard someone say recently he was saying that when i make my dhikr sometimes i like to sit outside and I like to enjoy the nature and the beauty of the nature and so on and so forth. And, you know, he's someone who really loves nature. And he said, but sometimes I have to tell myself, but isn't the dhikr more beautiful than the nature? And I have to close my eyes and I have to focus on the beauty of the words of the dhikr that I'm making rather than to be um, focused on the beauty of those created like uh, the the trees and which which are beautiful things, but they can become distractions depending on how they're used. Um, as we all know, doesn't take a whole lot of explanation to understand that one. At the same time, they're 
inwardly uh, in from from the realm of maybe you could say like from the perspective of form they can be an illusion but from the perspective of meaning then they are an admonition they are a reminder so if we can get past the form and reach to the level of the meaning then uh, then rather than being an illusion they become an admonition they become a reminder they become a means by which we reflect and think about God um, and that is what the creation is supposed to be one of the beautiful things about the Arabic language in the expression of Al-Alam Al-Alam like in Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen is that the Alam is an Alam that gives Ilm of God and I think I've said this before but maybe some people are hearing it for the first time so all of these words are related Al-Alam is the physical world or actually technically it's everything other than God it's so it's everything in creation is al-alam and an alam without the elongation alam is a sign okay and ilm is knowledge so they say that everything that's in the outward creation is a sign that gives knowledge of the Creator. And all the words are related to each other in the Arabic language. So anything that's in the in the creation is a sign that indicates the Creator. Uh, famous line of poetry. That in everything there is a sign that indicates that He is one. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. In everything there is a sign that indicates that he is one. So uh, th- there's two sides of it. One side of it can be uh, a reminder and one side of it can be a delusion. So he says, and then it's the base self that looks at the outward illusion while it's the heart that looks at the inward admonition. So the heart that's true and good, it sees th- what it's supposed to see. In the base self, it sees what it wasn't supposed to see. And so this is, again, kind of like brings back the same concept that we've been... It comes up a lot here, which is this idea of two people can look at the same thing and see very different things. And that's a really, I think, important reality to understand about existence. And it's true for relationships, it's true for interactions, it's true for so many different things. Two people can look at exactly the same thing and come to very different conclusions. And there's many reasons for that, but one of the reasons for that is the amount of nefs that's involved in their interpretation. So when there's a lot of nefs that's involved in the interpretation, it's going to go one direction. And when there's not, it's going to go in a different direction or it might not go anywhere, but it will stop at like, okay, I don't really, there's thing, there's conclusions I can draw from this and there's conclusions that I can't. And when the nefs has been reined in a little bit, then one can engage with that more effectively, inshallah. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad.
إن أردت أن يكون لك عز لا يفنى فلا تستعزن بعز يفنى It's pretty straightforward <laughs> Pretty straightforward but uh, a very profound truth Pretty straightforward but a very profound truth إن أردت أن يكون لك عز لا يفنى فلا تستعزن بعز يفنى If you want a glory that does not vanish Then do not glory in a glory that vanishes if you want a glory that does not vanish, then do not glory in a glory that vanishes. So basically what? Say if you want this honor, it's also is is like an honor and dignity, um, nobility, all of these things are are is like someone who's Mu'tez, there's someone who's um like really uh, put together well you know like they know who they are they know what they're about they know what matters to them they know what doesn't matter to them they know what is important they know what is not important and and no matter what you do to them they know who they are right this is a person who has izza. they have is and uh, if you want to have that then you sh sure as anything else expression that you can use that's uh, dignified better put it in uh, a place that it's not going anywhere but if you put it in like having the newest car or you put it in having the nicest clothes or you put it in being young and fit or you put it in having a big house or an attractive spouse or whatever it might be then know that all of those things are going to go away they're all going to go away. And the only thing that's going to remain is that which remains, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, only thing that's going to remain is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if I put my if I put my eggs in that basket, then that basket's staying still. That basket's not moving. That basket is set. And regardless of what happens, I'll, I'll still be okay. Um, and that's like I think I said about this quote of Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, where he said, like, what can they do to me? If they, if they kick me out, then I made hijra. <laughs> like, if they kick me out of my land, then I made hijra. I, I immigrated for the sake of Allah. And if they put me in prison... Then they put me into khalwa They put me into a spiritual retreat And if they kill me Then they gave me martyrdom So like what can they actually do to me Because Whatever they do I, I can find Allah in all of those things And um, that's that's a good place to be Right if, if that's the way that we're looking at it There's a question Can you discuss signs of when your nefs is skewing How you see things You know part of the challenge of that Is that like we don't really know Right um, uh, what, what are some of the things that we can do To try to mitigate this How about how, What are some of the things that we can do to mitigate this um, Number one Is that we can commit ourselves to a serious process Of trying to fight against the diseases of the heart 
sicknesses of the heart to really try to fight against those and even if we don't always win the battles that we're engaged in being conscious about that will raise our attentiveness and awareness of what's going on inside of us in general and having an elevated awareness of what's going on inside of us will help us to be able to be like you know what right now actually that's not really my opinion on this thing i'm just kind of angry like i got triggered by what that person said and so now i'm coming like super hard when there was no reason for me to come that hard like maybe i could have disagreed but i didn't need to disagree that hard um or and and one of the things to look at is does my interpretation of events is there hadhun in nafs in it is there a share for the nafs in it so a lot of times our interpretations are interpretations that are somehow beneficial to us right they they either make us feel smart or they make us feel important or they make us feel better than someone else or 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 or, or right and so that's also something to consider uh, another thing is to try and there are like objective methods for coming to conclusions right like we we do kind of believe in objective truth there are certain things that are subjective but there are things that are objective and and some of these rules are there kind of like in the guidance of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so when the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam um uh says for example that we should beware of suspicion and like if i don't know something is true i can't assume that it is so you know like when people come and they're like oh they're only saying that because of xyz they're like okay so what evidence do you have that they're only saying that because of xyz if you don't have any evidence then you can't say that right so like this idea of being able to back up conclusions that we come to with some sort of actual reasoning uh, it sounds <laughs> it sounds so so ridiculous when you when you spell it out but when you look at the world you realize that you know a huge amount of people are coming to conclusions all the time without any sort of uh, process of reasoning behind it and that's why one of the the first things that kind of like you're exposed to as a student of knowledge in the Islamic studies is the 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 issue of reasoning and like logic you know how do I come to a conclusion on something and you know there's like a process of conceptualization there's a process of determination like coming to a conclusion there's things that can be used as evidences there's things that can't there's, you know, reasonable steps in that process, so on and so forth. So, you know, just trying to sometimes, like, discipline ourselves in our thought. So, okay, I'm thinking this right now. Why am I thinking that? Um, and and you see this, uh, like, I think the, the coronavirus stuff is a good example of this, you know. Some people have opinions that they really don't have any business having opinions. Um... Some people have uh, all kinds of conclusions that are not really based on anything. You'd be like, so why do you think that? Well, you know, uh, I, I just don't see anyone getting sick around me. It's like, well, like how is that, how is that a sufficient evidence to come to a conclusion? Like, 
that's that's the kind of conclusion that you make based on istiqra, which is like general survey. But your survey, but your sample size is like the five people that you talk to. So, how is that a legitimate sample size to come to any sort of conclusion? You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> it's just it's it's fascinating. I think for like uh, the Muslim community, a lot of the um, at least for like a lot of the imams and stuff locally, there's so many physicians in the community that it was like you're getting front lines information all the time. You know. Uh, but anyways, you you get the idea. So you can you can adopt. You can we can try to discipline ourselves to follow some methods of reasoning, and to really question the conclusions that we come to. It's very important to question the conclusions that we come to. Um, there's a good book that I found on this recently, but I don't know where it is right now. Because in Arabic, it seems like anytime I've tried to find a logic book in English, there are always these really long things that are um, very difficult and in in Arabic at least you have these like short works that they don't try to cover the entirety of the subject they try to cover just the beginning amount to get you like in the door and then later ones will cover more and more and more uh, but there's a really good paper it's called uh, how to study actually I can probably find it right now that's it I think it's a good example of like uh, it's it's fantastic. I really like it. The guy who wrote it is called Swain. It's as if when I read it, I felt like I was reading a book on like the etiquettes of seeking knowledge in Islam. It's not that long, but he covers like he says basically he was teaching in college and he realized that all these. Students, they don't really know how to think properly. And so it's like affecting their ability to study. So he, he covers things like the proper mental attitude, studying understandingly, the system that should be followed, mental initiative and habits of work. I mean, it's really... Uh, I'm going to send you the link right now. Uh, in the thing. So, anyways... I feel like I just beat that horse to death, but alhamdulillah. Okay. So we seek our is, seek our honor and our dignity in the Most High. Um, there's a statement that's attributed to Sayyidina Umar radiallahu where he said that we, the Arabs, we were a people who were who were steeped in ignorance and um, and backwardsness essentially, and we were only given is through Islam. So if we seek is through anything other than Islam, then Allah will humiliate us again. And I think that in general, this is true for any people that have truth. You know, like like we have truth in Islam. And so, you know, part of the way that things work is if you're going to try to seek, if you have the truth and you're going to try to seek glory and honor and dignity and all of these kind of things with something other than the truth, then don't be surprised if there's humiliation that comes from that. And that itself might be a gift that gets the person to reflect and realize I should take this truth more seriously if you're to tie it into the... Um, 
uh, if you were to tie it into the previous ones. <laughs> All right, next one. Shifting a lot here. Shifting a lot here. Yes, to the question on the, the recording, the recordings are up on that SoundCloud link. I'll, I put them up after the class. So after the class today, I'll put it up. All the previous ones are there as well. And the other classes that we've done at the Majlis, many of them are there as well. So, you know. So he says in 87, I was curious to see um, how they're going to translate this. The real journey is when the world's dimensions are rolled away from you so that you see the hereafter closer to you than yourself. Okay. You know, it's a good attempt. It requires a little bit of background. So what is a tai? A tai. A tai is this phenomenon that you find in the biographies um, that relates to the miracles of righteous people. And the tai is they they kind of talk about it as a rolling up of the earth so a tay is usually tay of masafat al-ard and here he's saying it's the tay of masafat al-dunya so what does that mean they say that a tay was a it's like a type of miracle that was given to people where they could cross tremendous distances in very short periods of time Allahu alam I've never seen it myself It's there in a lot of books um, I just leave it in Allahu alam land So in Allahu alam land There's countless stories Of people who had this miracle And so They would like you know Go to long distances And arrive in places And even I think I read a story about this recently Or heard one Something about like some people who went traveling In like this desert And they were following someone And then they thought they were lost And then they ended up In a, in a town That was supposed to be like way farther Than the distance That they traveled So they're like <laughs> we don't really know what happened But anyways the point is what he's getting at here Is don't worry about that Don't worry about that Worry about um, worry about what's being mentioned here So I'm saying the real Tai The real Tai Is rather than the distance of the physical world Coming together Being rolled up for you That's why rolled, rolled away is being used there It's like as if the earth was rolled up And now the distance is super close Saying that's that's not the real one you need to worry about The real one that you need to worry about Is if the reality of your life in this world 
is rolled up for you so much so that you see the next life as if it's right in front of you. That's actually what you should worry about. Forget like these other things. Focus on can I get to the point where this whole existence of my my worldly existence uh, it gets rolled up for me so that I can see the hereafter right in front of me. And I can put my eyes there and I can put my focus there and I can get through the things that I need to get through in this life but my but it's right there in front of me. Um, folding of the fabric of space for quick travel in sci-fi, we call this a wormhole. Yeah. And interestingly enough, how does the worm move? Right? Like it has this uh, contracting and expanding. <laughs> it has a contracting and expanding uh, to it. Um, anyways, Allah alam. I need to spend too much time on that one. Next one, we'll end on this one, inshallah. Al-Ata'u A gift from man is deprivation, but deprivation from God is beneficence. Um, so this ties into uh, what we said, what we had been saying before. I'm going to read a little bit of the commentary here because I think he points out, it's very short, but it points out some good details. So he says, he, he adds some words here. He says, to receive from human beings while being heedless of the Creator is deprivation. So it's not that like everything that it's, it's if we're receiving things from people, a gift from people, and we're not being mindful of who the true giver is, then that is hirman, then that is deprivation. But it's not... Um, see, part of the issue here with this translation, look, they use deprivation for both these words. They're different words. Hirman and mena are two different words. But, you know, I guess it's close enough. But, you know, it just doesn't seem right if it's two different words and it's being translated into the same word. Anyways, the point is, if you're receiving from people and you're being heedless of God as the true giver, then that is deprivation. لِأَنَّهُ يُوجِبُ حُبَّهُمْ وَتَعَلُّقَ بِهِمْ وَصَرْفَ الْوَقْتِ فِي مُكَافَأَتِهِمْ وَذَلِكَ يُوجِبُ ذُهُولَ الْعَقْلِ الْقَلْبِ عَلَى الْحَقِّ فَيَفُوتُهُ مِنَ الْمَعَارِفِ مَا لَا يُحْصَى وَأَيُّ حِرْمَانٍ أَعْظَمُ مِنْ ذَلِكِ So he says, because what happens is if a person does that, that results in them putting all of their love and all of their attachment and all of their time into those people who are giving them those things. And what that means is that now their heart becomes attached to those people rather than being attached to the true God, the, the true giver, the, the Lord himself. Uh, and in doing so, then they lose a lot. And, and, and what more can be lost than that? He said, So 
So he says, and to be prevented by God or deprived by God is a gift in reality because it necessitates from the person that they turn towards him in dependence and they stand in front of him with their hands raised and asking of him subhanahu wa ta'ala and what is better than that what is better to be in that condition than being in that condition so this thing that was taken from them or that thing that they didn't get actually causes them to be in a position that they want to be in which is a position of servitude and worship and obedience and so on so uh, that then would be ihsan wallahu alam wa sallallahu wa sallam ala sayyidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam alhamdulillah rabbil alamin if there's any questions i'll give you a minute or two to send them in and uh, if not then we are on the doorsteps of Ramadan you know alhamdulillah we are on the doorsteps of Ramadan when does Ramadan start uh, it seems likely Friday <coughs> the calculation has it on uh, on Friday um, like Thursday night Friday day fr- first day of fasting being Friday uh, so people who are going by calculations have already determined that and it will be Friday for them the moon sighting charts and stuff seem to indicate that basically people where we are now are going to be able to see the moon on Thursday um, at least the last I checked uh, on Thursday night so it seems likely that there will be at least in our part of the world a physical sighting um, on Thursday night as well so hopefully everyone will be starting Ramadan at least in North America around the same same day inshallah but we shall see Alhamdulillah Barakallah Fikum Oh I didn't know you were joining We're very honored to have you Inshallah Allah bless you and your family and keep you all safe. Alhamdulillah. Type. Inshallah, we will continue when we continue. So uh, this. So the next time we meet, this will be five to six thirty. I know it's a little bit early, but um, you know we have to leave enough time for people to cook if they want to cook. Or if they need to cook. Um, so, you know. That is that is what it is. What is the most efficient day of finishing a khatam? Do you mean in general or in Ramadan? Or Wait for a response to that. In, in general, in Ramadan, mm. 
Uh, anyways, I don't know why I'm waiting because I don't remember the answer. <laughs> so it doesn't really make, make any difference. It's as if I recall reading some sort of narration of one of the one of the companions who would try to make khatam on a particular day of the week. I just don't remember which one it was. So it doesn't really matter if, if the answer comes anyways because um, I don't really remember. In Ramadan, uh, you know, what's important is to try to finish. And sometimes people will do the khatam in Ramadan on the 27th because they want, they're hoping that it will fall on Laylat al-Qadr on the night of power. Um, sometimes other people will do it on the 29th because basically if they do it on the 27th, everyone stops showing up for Tarawih. So they just delay it until the 29th. Uh, as soon as you can finish it, finish it and restart and get more in, inshallah. Um, will the Majlis make an announcement about the beginning of Ramadan Thursday? Probably not because we don't really have anything. Well, I guess not really anyone does now, but we don't really have any programming that's contingent on which day is the first day of Ramadan. You know, we'll just go with. You know, people can go with whatever they feel comfortable going with. I personally generally just go with like most of the jama'ah locally, which is which is calculations. I know some people might not like that, but I'm okay with it. And uh, <laughs> and um, you know, but people can of course choose whichever one they want to choose. Um, Thought on reading the Qur'an while listening to a reciter versus reading by self. Um, if listening to a reciter and, and like reading along with them helps you to do it, then alhamdulillah, go for it. Um, if you're able to do it by yourself, then that's probably, that's good too. Oftentimes if you just do it by yourself, you can usually go a little bit faster than uh, following like someone who's really kind of doing a serious recitation but you know, it's up to you reading the Quran is reading the Quran alhamdulillah and the month is khair and those are all be sources of good inshallah for us okay if you need to read it in English read it in English if you need to it's all fine alhamdulillah right so inshallah Ramadan Mubarak may Allah accept from all of us and bless us and give us tawfiq to worship him in a way that is pleasing to him اللهم أمين وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم الحمد لله رب العالمين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله